Rabel, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? This morning I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Who is this? Who is this man, Jesus? Matthew tells us that when Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey, the people were stirred up in Jerusalem. The whole city was abuzz. They were speaking about him, wondering about him, and they were asking the question, who is this? And for 2,000 years, people have been trying to answer that question. Who is Jesus? Some have said that he was a prophet, like many said that day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Others have said he was a moral teacher. Still others have said that he was some kind of fringe political leader. Today, we assign many different identities to Jesus. And this morning, even if you've grown up in the church, even as you've come into this Palm Sunday, almost as routine and tradition, the answer to that question is far more elusive to you than you might realize. And for those of you who've been dragged here this morning, for those of you who have questioned the person of Jesus deep down, for those of you who are filled with skepticism of doubt, the answer to that question is monumentally important. And so this Palm Sunday, as we enter into Holy Week, that is the question before us. Who is Jesus? And we will pause. We will pause together as God's people. We'll pause together as those who've been made in his image. We will pause together and we will try to answer that question. And what we'll see is that Jesus is many things but he's far more than a prophet, far greater than a moral teacher, and he's not just some fringe political leader. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is the king. In this Holy Week together, we will see the authority 
and kingship of Jesus Christ. As we consider on Palm Sunday the triumphal entry, we're going to see the story of a king entering into Jerusalem. But as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's going to break every expectation. And so this morning, I want the triumphal entry to challenge you, to challenge your perception of Jesus and the assumptions that you have behind the answer to that question, who is Jesus? And together, what I want us all to see is that Jesus, he is the king, the king who has come and coming again. First thing I want you to know, I want you to know that Jesus is the Messiah King. I want you to look with me at Matthew 21, beginning with verse one. Matthew tells us that when Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives. Now what you need to know is that at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel has been building in its storytelling, building upon the person of Jesus, who he is, and what he came to do. And all of this is now coming to a head in the triumphal entry. It's been mounting throughout the Gospels, especially in the chapter before in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have a Bible this morning, I invite you to get it out. If you don't have a Bible, I want you to grab the Pew Bible in front of you. You're welcome to take it home with you. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. Matthew 20, we see the Gospel writer building on the person of Jesus, who he is, but also giving us a glimpse of what he came to do. We see this in Matthew 20, verse 18, where Jesus took his disciples aside, and this is what he told them. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day, Jesus told his disciples what was about to happen, that he would be arrested, that he would be crucified, that he would even rise again from the dead, and yet even as the disciples, his own disciples heard this, they couldn't comprehend it. They didn't understand it. Again, just like you and me and just like the crowds, they were beginning to wonder, who is this man? Then again in Matthew 20, verse 20, we see the mother of the sons of Zebedee, like any good mother, dragging her sons with her, James and John, and she comes to Jesus, and this is what she asks him, that her sons would be able to sit with Jesus in the kingdom on his right hand and his left hand, and Jesus responds by saying, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Once again, Jesus says, you don't understand. <laughs> Your answer to that question, who is Jesus, is way off. Because the kingdom that you are envisioning is far different than the kingdom of God. And Jesus the King has come, not to be served, but to serve, to lay his life down as a ransom for many. And then the third time, Matthew 20, verse 30, told about two blind men. Two blind men who come to Jesus and they beg him for healing. And this is what they say. They say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. In these three passages, we get a glimpse, a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he came to do. 
Not only do we have a vision, an understanding, we're beginning to see what Jesus has come to do, that he's come to be arrested, to be crucified, to to rise again on the third day, to lay his life down as a ransom for many, to bring healing to the blind. But we're also beginning to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. You see, there are two titles that we see in Matthew 20 that are leading up to his triumphal entry, Son of Man and Son of David. Two titles that the Bible reserves for the Messiah. And so it's significant that in Matthew 21, as Jesus is coming to enter in Jerusalem, that Matthew tells us in Matthew 21, verse 1, that Jesus and his disciples went up to the Mount of Olives. You see, this is significant because in the Bible, there is a deep connection between the Messiah and the Mount of Olives. The Old Testament tells us that the Messiah would come from the line of David, the royal line of the Davidic king. In 2 Samuel, God made a covenant with David, making a promise that the Messiah will build a house for the name of the Lord and that the Lord would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And, And so it was David, the first in this kingly line, who went to the Mount of Olives when his son Absalom was rebelling against him. And just like his son, Jesus would far later, King David went into the Mount of Olives and he wept and he prayed. And he asked the Lord for deliverance. We see later that the prophets would go to the Mount of Olives and tell of the coming judgment. The prophet Ezekiel went to the Mount of Olives to declare that judgment was coming. The prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 14.4, actually foretold that the Messiah would one day return on the Mount of Olives. And so it's very significant The last days of Jesus on earth are centered around the Mount of Olives because this is the place of the Messiah, the Son of Man and the Son of David. Jesus came here to the Mount of Olives as he entered into Jerusalem. He would come back to the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane to weep and pray on the night of his betrayal. And after his death and resurrection, Jesus would go back to the Mount of Olives to ascend to heaven. And one day we were told that it's at the Mount of Olives where Jesus Christ will return. So what's the point? The point is, is that all of this points to one thing. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, if you've grown up around church, you've probably heard that before, that Jesus is the Messiah. But have you ever stopped to ask the question, what does that actually mean? What are we saying when we say that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, the word Messiah in Hebrew means anointed one. It's the one that the Old Testament foretells, a king who would come, an anointed one by God to come and establish not his kingdom, but the kingdom of God forever. And when this anointed king will come, he will bring salvation for the people of God. So what you need to understand is that up until this point as we are reading the story of the gospel, that the Hebrews, the Jewish people, 
lived in great longing, great expectation, and great hope for the coming Messiah. They had experienced so much oppression, so much injustice, so much hardship, as we saw in our study through Daniel during their exile, so much enslavement that they were, had been waiting for generations for the Messiah to come. And all of this is beginning to point to Jesus as the messianic king. That is what's going on here as we begin to read the triumphal entry. It's a vision, a picture of King Jesus, the Messiah, has come. Now, in the New Testament, the Greek word for Messiah is Christ. That's why we say Jesus Christ. It's actually what we are saying if you call yourself a Christian. We are saying that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. In other words, what we are saying is that all of our hopes, all of our longings, everything that we might possibly want is fulfilled in Jesus. And yet, do we actually live that way? Do we actually live in such a way that would say that all of our hopes, all of our longings, all of our wants are found in Jesus? You see, because the truth is, every one of us, we need salvation. And that's true for you, whether you admit it this morning or not. Because there will be a, many points in your life, if you haven't experienced it, where you will be brought to the end of yourself. And in that moment, you too, just like me, you will cry out for a savior. You will recognize your need for a savior. And this is nothing new. People have been searching for a savior, searching for a Messiah, someone who would come for their rescue for centuries. I wonder, have you heard of any of these people? Theodos, Judas of Galilee, Simon Bar Kokhba, Dostheos, the Samaritan. Every one of these claimed to be the Messiah in the first century you never heard of them. Why? Because none of them rose from the dead. To say that Jesus is the Christ is to say that he alone is the one in whom all of our hopes, all of our longings, all of our desires are filled. And so leading up to the triumphal entry, as we're given these titles, Son of Man and Son of David, we also see Jesus ask one question to two different people. This is the question. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? The mother of the sons of Zebedee came wanting power and prestige for her sons in the kingdom, and so Jesus asked her, what do you want? And after she told him, Jesus said, you don't understand what you're asking. And the two blind men came up to Jesus and begged for healing and begged for mercy. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? When they asked him to heal them, we're told that Jesus restored their sight. And so this morning, as we're asking the question, who is Jesus? I want you to also to begin to ask the question of yourself, the question that Jesus is asking. What do you want me to do for you? 
Because underneath that question lies all of your hopes and all of your fears. And whatever your answer to that question is, leads you to the thing or person that you are seeking for rescue. The second thing I want you to know, I want you to know that Jesus is the humble king. We're told in Matthew 21 that Jesus grabbed his disciples and he asked them to go and get a donkey. And then all of this, verse four, we're told is in fulfillment of what the prophet Zechariah spoke in Zechariah 9.9. Matthew tells us, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey. As Jesus, the king, the Messiah, is coming into Jerusalem, he came not on a chariot, not on a war horse, not with an army, but he came on a donkey. Why? Because Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Jesus came to lay his life down. Jesus came in humility. The triumphal entry points to his incarnation. That this great king, this Messiah, was born in a manger, born into poverty. Why? Because he was born into our poverty and he took on our flesh. And as Jesus the king entered Jerusalem that day on a donkey, it was a a visual of just how paradoxical the person of Jesus really is. That Jesus our king came to die, to lay his life down for you and for me. This makes no sense to us if we're honest. Because again, we answer that question, what do you want me to do for you? In a vastly different way than what Jesus actually came to do. There's so much of us that wants the same things that the people of Israel wanted that day. We want Jesus, we want the Messiah to come and build our kingdoms. We want a political leader someone to establish our kingdom now for us. We want a deliverer, someone who will come and deliver our own desires and our own wants rather than the wants and desires of the kingdom of God. As we've seen in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, that the kingdom of man is so broken And you and I spend all of our days trying to build up our own little kingdoms and bow down to the earthly kings of this world. And yet Jesus came on a donkey, not with a sword in his fist, but he came on a donkey to die on a cross. Triumphal entry, as much as it shows us that Jesus is the Messiah, it also shows us that Jesus is the servant the one who came in humility to lay his life down for you and for me. So the third thing I want you to know, I want you to know that Jesus is the victorious king. Look with me at Matthew 21, verse six. Matthew tells us the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And so they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he said on them, And then we're told that most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. I want you to imagine the scene this morning. Imagine Jesus walking down the road from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. 
And as he is mounted on this donkey, people are lining the road. And as they're lining the road, they're taking the cloaks off of their own backs. And they're putting their their garments down on the road so that he would walk, not on dirt, but on their clothes. It's a sign of Jesus' kingly authority. We see similar language used in 2 Kings that as the people declared Jehu to be king, they all took off their garments and put them at his feet. But not only did Jesus enter Jerusalem like a king, we're told that Jesus entered Jerusalem as a triumphant king. That's why we call this the triumphal entry. He entered Jerusalem as a victorious king. Why don't you look with me at the second part of verse 8. We're told others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The Gospel of John tells us that these were branches of palm. Palm branches. You can see them in our flowers this morning. Even right now as our preach, our children are marching through the halls of our uh, campus here, waving palm branches like a parade. That's why we call today Palm Sunday. Why were they doing that? Well, what you need to know is that the palm branch was a symbol of victory. The palm branch was used by the Greeks to honor victorious athletes. That after they won in the games, they would be showered with palm branches and hailed as heroes. We also know that the Romans used palm branches to to proclaim victory in war. And so as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, he's coming as a king and victory. And all of the people that were placing all of their hopes on him, wanting his victory to be theirs in hopes that this would be the Messiah. Their only problem is their answer to the question, what do you want me to do for you, was way off. Just like yours and just like mine. They wanted Jesus to come and establish their kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. And so they cried, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. I want you to listen to their voices crying out. The word Hosanna in Aramaic literally means save us. They were reciting Psalm 118. What we know about the word Hosanna is over the years, it went from meaning save us to being a declaration that salvation has come. That's what they were saying that day as Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, waving their branches of palm in victory, putting their cloaks before him as a king. They were saying salvation has come. And so here's the question that we have to wrestle with as we approach this Holy Week together. How could people cry out, salvation has come? How could people lay their own garments at his feet? How could people wave palm branches in victory and cry out Hosanna only to a week later yell, crucify him? Crucify him. And rather than lay their cloaks at his feet, they would strip him bare. And he would lie naked, hung on a cross. How could we see such a change? Because their answer to that question, what do you want me to do for you, 
is completely different than what Jesus came to do. You see, the triumphal entry tells us what Jesus came to do because he came on a donkey in humility and victory. Because our king came to die on the cross and to rise again so that his victory over sin and death would be our victory too. So this morning, Jesus is asking you and me, what do you want me to do for you? How do you answer that question? Because your answer to that question will lead to the second question, who is Jesus Christ? It's possible to grow up in a Christian home in a city like Dallas, Texas, and just like the people that day cry out, Hosanna, salvation has come, and completely miss what salvation really is. You and I are desperate, but our desperation goes so far beyond the kingdoms of this world. You and I are desperate for our salvation because you and I have committed high treason against the king. And the Bible makes it clear that the penalty for treason is death. Every time you and I sin, we are betraying the king and his kingdom, and we do it every day. And as traitors, we deserve death. But the good news of Palm Sunday is that our king has entered in. And as he has entered in, not only to Jerusalem, but as he has entered into our own lives, he has come in humility, humility to the point of death, even death on a cross. And there our king took the penalty for our treason and he died for you and me. And on the third day he rose again so that his victory would be ours. And what I want you to know is that one day that victory would be ours forever. See, not only does Palm Sunday give us a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he came to do, to be the king who would lay his life down for you and me and on the third day rise again, but Palm Sunday also gives us a foretaste, a glimpse of a greater triumphal entry to come. One day, one day God's people will gather together again and on that day they will wave palm branches and once again they will cry out Hosanna. John tells us in the book of Revelation of what that day will be like. Revelation 7 verse 9. John writes, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Hosanna, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. On this Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry gives us an understanding of who Jesus is, and what he came to do, so that we might place all of our hopes, all of our longings, and all of our sin on him and find victory in his name, that he is the Messiah King, the one who came as a humble servant to lay his life down for you and me, 
the victorious king who would rise again, and he is the coming king, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, and our coming king, the one who came 2,000 years ago into Jerusalem riding on a donkey will come again riding on a white horse, and he will come again to make all things new. So don't place your hope in false messiahs. Don't place your hope in the kings and kingdoms of this world, but this holy week, bow down at the throne of the king and realize that his throne is found through the cross. May we bow down this week and submit ourselves to the gracious kingship of Jesus Christ and find life eternal in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for sending us Jesus. We thank you for his incarnation being born in a manger. We thank you for the humble way that he entered in victory into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. We thank you for the cross. And we thank you for the resurrection. We pray that this holy week that these things would not just be merely stories to us, but they would become our story. The victory of Jesus would be ours through the gospel, and that we would live as people of the resurrection in great hope of the day when you, Jesus, will be our king who comes again. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together.